Welcome to Friday. Welcome to DC Signal to Noise. I'm John Harris, News Director for Farm Journal. Alongside always Jim Wiesmeyer from Pro Farmer, our diviner of signal and noise. And a couple special guests this week on the show. Jim, I'll let you introduce our guests. Former House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson and a principal uh, owner of Combest Cell, a rural advocacy group in Washington, D.C., both longtime sources and friends, I may add. So uh, they have forgotten more than people know on farm policy. So this is why I, I'm you know, so excited to go through the issues with them. Yeah, so uh, a couple very influential people in ag policy. So if you have a question and you're watching on Facebook, drop us a note in the Facebook comments. If you're not watching on Facebook, you're listening to the podcast, be sure to join us next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central on the AgriTalk Facebook page. So you can join in on the discussion. Well, let's start with the obvious, gentlemen. I mean, uh, Congressman Peterson, um, I know there has been a lot of push for you to remain involved in agriculture since the November election. You've obviously made a decision about that future. Um, and since we have Tom Sell here, we know it's with Combat Sell and Associates. Uh, w- walk us through what went through that decision making and what you're going to be doing with Combat Sell. Well, um, thank you for having us on here. And, um, you know, I talked to a number of different people uh, that were. Um, um, wanted to know what I was going to do and some people that kind of made me offers. But I just think that that uh, that uh, Tom's uh, shop, Combat Cell, fits me better because they're mostly they're um, representing the producer groups, uh, folks that I've been working with over all my career. Uh, you know, I kind of know the issues, so I don't have to go out and learn something uh, new that I haven't done before. So I just kind of fit my situation. Uh, you know, I don't have to move to D.C. full time, which is a positive. Uh, so there's just a lot of good things. But, I, you know, I've just uh, we've always had a good relationship with their firm. Uh, you know, I had a good relationship with Larry Combest back when he was chairman in 2002. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, as you said, people were calling me and saying, you got to stay involved. You know, you can't walk away. Uh, we need you to be uh, engaged and help us as we move forward. And uh, you know, that was from farmers. Um, even the secretary told me I need to stay engaged. So really, I took their advice. Well, we're glad you did. And Tom Sell, well, we're joking in the pre-show, Tom, that no commercials in this, but we'll let you do a little bit of commercial. Uh, tell us about uh, Combat Sell and Associates and about your background, because really you, uh, Larry Combat, former chairman also of the House Agriculture Committee and uh, Congressman Peterson, have all worked together on that ag committee in the past. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love the way that the Chairman Peterson framed it. You know, and and we do. We we take a great deal of pride in the fact that our our firm, Combat Cell, we've kind of carved out a niche where we're known as just fighters. You know, fighters for for the American farmer. Um, and we bring a lot of passion and and uh, and we work hard uh, every day to to be good advocates uh, for farming interests, really from across across the nation, um, uh, before House and Senate Ag and the administration. On a daily basis, we try and wade into the public uh, arena and, and try and influence uh, or help the American public appreciate what the American farmer does for them on a on a daily, on a yearly basis. Certainly, so I think it is kind of just the perfect marriage and 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 fit with 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 Chairman Peterson. I did. I started as a staff on Cattle Hill right out of college. It's an amazing place. I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers have have been there over the years. It's a very young, you know, you have the members of Congress and you have these young staff. And I was I was one of those back in the day. Never felt I was smart enough, studied hard, worked hard. Uh, Combest kind of kind of uh, 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 took me by the side and I kind of became his right hand man through through um, the crop insurance rewrite and through his tenure on the Ag Committee where we did that crop insurance rewrite in 2000 and then the O2 Farm Bill. So obviously I've been a friend of, of Chairman Peterson since that time. We've gotten to work on a lot of issues together from the opposite side of the aisle. But, you know, the great thing about the Ag Committee, uh, John, Jim, you know, this is it, it's all it has this great legacy of bipartisan problem solving, you know, taking the issues, even if you can come at it from different perspectives. And in ag, usually the differences are more about region, you know, um, you know, cotton, corn, uh, east, west, um, 
different different styles of agriculture. So those were a lot of the fights, but but we would all we have this great tradition of coming together. So I just think this is gonna be a, a fun and, and great marriage, particularly as we're looking at some of these really big policy questions going forward. So I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. So thanks for the opportunity for the commercial there. Excellent. Yeah, we'll let Jim start off with getting into the, the policy issues here. Go ahead, Jim. Well, uh, you know, Chairman, do you think you left any major unfinished business in the House Ag Committee? And, uh, you know, what do you really think that they should be focusing on, on your farmer committee? Well, I think uh, people need to be paying attention to um, uh, implementation of all of the uh, this bill that just passed this week. Uh, some of that um, that was in some of what was in the bill I put together before I left uh, the depopulation stuff, the supply chain stuff in terms of hog and turkeys, and some of these folks that were affected last um, last year. Uh, and there's a number of other provisions in there. And the secretary has tremendous uh, latitude in terms of setting the rules and regulations. So I think the first thing people are going to have to pay attention to is trying to work uh, with the uh, secretary to, to make sure that the um, the rules are such that they work for for the uh, the folks that are imp- impacted by this legislation. So uh, that's going to be kind of the first focus. Uh, there's a lot of interest in climate change. Um, I've been doing some work on that. I've talked to the secretary and his people about this. Uh, I've been talking this week to some of Bill Gates's people. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of interest on the part of the uh, president, the part of the secretary, and a lot of members on our side of the aisle in uh, Congress that are interested in this. And, and um, I think there's a, a positive role that agriculture can, can play beyond what they're already doing. Uh, but the devil's in the details. Yeah. And I've been telling the secretary and the other folks that I've been talking to, I think it can be positive, but it's got to be practical. It's got to be something that's uh, that producers can work into their um, system, and uh, I think it can be done. But so that's going to be a focus, and then next year they're going to get started. I would assume on um, hearings for the next farm bill. Uh, the only thing we left really un- undone was the uh, reauthorization of the CFTC. Uh, we just could not get together with the Senate on that. Uh, that was really the only thing we weren't able to get done. And I think there's still problems with that. Um, but hopefully, you know, I mean, they can operate without the reauthorization, but hopefully they'll uh, figure out some way to get that done this year. You know, you kept on signaling last year that with the increased use, especially by the Trump administration, of tapping the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act. And I know you you were one of the ones who said there are only a few of us before that who even knew what it was before <laughs> the tapping of the billions of dollars. And I think you kind of signaled that you think that they should in the future consult with the House and Senate Ag Committees. Is that still your position? Yeah, I think it would be good. Um, you know, I don't think there's going to be any legislation that's going to pass that's going to tell the administration they have to do this. I'd be surprised if that would actually pass the Congress. But um, I think it makes sense for the secretary to, to work with uh, the ag, ag committees in the House and Senate as they do this. I'm assuming what they're going to do is try to use the CCC uh as a place to fund this climate change stuff. And, you know, I don't think they've exactly figured out how they're going to do that or or exactly how it's going to move forward. But I think they learned a lesson from the Trump administration that this is a place where they can go to find money. Yeah. Uh, And I assume that um, they're going to try to do that, you know, so, um, and you would need a lot more funding for the maximum borrowing authority, wouldn't you? Well, for CCC. That's yeah. That's an interesting question because uh, you know some of the members were proposing to go to sixty billion dollars, raise the thirty billion to sixty that hasn't been raised for I don't know thirty forty years. But now, when you have a Democratic administration, those Republicans 
I'm not sure they'll want to raise it to 60 billion mm. and let the Democrats. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see what ends up happening there. But um, you know, it, it's it's um, it's not going to be the only source. I, you know, they're going to have to figure out where they're going to come up with the money to the climate change ideas, yeah. not just agriculture, but uh, across the board. Uh, maybe they'll do some of that in the uh, infrastructure bill, uh, figuring out ways to get money out of it. But, um, you know, it's, um, you, you know, I, what I'm concerned about and what I was concerned about is this, that it kind of made the Ag Committee uh, almost irrelevant yeah. uh, with what they were doing. Yeah. You know, and they're, you know, and a lot of our jurisdiction revolves around, you know, revolves around mandatory spending and uh, you know that we've been moving more and more to using the appropriation process uh, to get at these issues rather than using the farm bill process and I'm I'm just worried about the impact that's going to have on the committee going forward uh, well and, and does that lesson learned about the CCC from the Trump administration does that change the discussion for the next farm bill the lesson learned what uh, about using CCC money for these programs like the Trump administration did? Well, I mean, so a certain amount of the money has to be uh, held back to, to do the regular right. farm programs, you know, the regular uh, things within CCC. Uh, uh, so that that will be done. But, you know, there's always money left over in that regard, and, and the Trump administration tapped into that. And I would assume that, you know, I know they're talking about this carbon bank, uh, nobody can tell me exactly what they're, you know, how it's going to work or how much money is going to be involved, but they keep talking about that and talking about using the CCC to establish it. Uh, whether that can be done or not, I think remains to be seen. But um, as with everything in agriculture, you know, you, you've got to find the money. And uh, we have been on the committee. We've been bipartisan over the years. We have made sure that we've we uh, fund everything, you know, anything that we've done in the farm bill has been funded uh, and we've had to pay for it, you know, and the only way we've gone away from that is, is what happened here these last uh, two or three years where the money was uh, taken out of the CCC, which is not paid for, it's borrowed money. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that's the way we should be going. I'm one of those that think we should pay our bills as we go along. Tom, where do you see this as you go on yourself as you know, yeah. the CCC? Well, it's um, I, I think it's been summed up pretty well. You know, so there are two things that really come out of the CCC on a yearly basis, and that's our conservation programs, about five to six billion dollars a year. That's EQIP, CSP, CRP, um, others, RCPP. I'm throwing around all these acronyms, trying to look smart for you here, Jim. Um, and uh, but I think most folk, most folks listening will know what those mean. And then you have the Title One programs, so ARC and PLC and those kinds of things. So together, in a normal year, those may be you know twelve to fifteen billion dollars. Certainly, with commodity prices going up, the costs of ARC and PLC are going to come down. So there'll be a little bit less pressure on the overall thirty billion dollar credit limit of the CCC that's routinely kind of refunded. Uh, every year. So there's there's room there. Obviously, when you look back the last two or three years with MFP, you know, Secretary Purdue stood up MFP to help fight the trade war, spent, I think, 11 and then another 16 billion um, in MFP one and two. And then and then you had the very real crisis of, of, you know, that was kind of a political decision that was made. Then you had this overwhelming real crisis of the pandemic where it was like, well, now we've already set the precedent of using the CC. We've got to use it now. During, and they stood up CFAP 1 and then CFAP 2. And then Congress finally came in uh, on CFAP 3 and said, you know, we need to direct this a little bit more, just like what Chairman Peterson opened up with. There's still a lot of implementation issues there. But Jim, when you total that up, we've spent uh, over $40 billion uh, for farmers outside of the Farm Bill authorities, outside of the normal Farm Bill authorities. Where does that go in the future? Obviously, commodity prices are back up, so there are some various things militating, but the thought has been that you know maybe that precedent would be used uh, to stand up some sort of carbon banking system 
But as chairman noted, I think perfectly, it's, it's just complicated. The devil will be in the details. Uh, can they really get there? Is the federal government serving as the banker uh, or, or the, the trading floor, in essence, for, for these carbon credits? Is that the best uh, function and use of the CCC? Those are, those are intense policy questions. Yeah. I think we got a little taste of that yesterday with the Senate Ag Committee's hearing uh, where you had Bozeman and Stabenow both did a really good job. It was a really high quality hearing. I'd encourage people to go back and look at it. Some great farmers, guy Mark, Mark Isbell from Arkansas, who's a rice farmer. There were a number of just really good people uh, talking about this issue, but but these are deep and complicated questions that, that we really need to think through. So I probably went a little further than you wanted, but no, um, there's a lot to the CCC debate. Indeed. And and in that hearing yesterday, they got to something, Jim, that you and I have been talking about for quite some time on here is this notion of how do you involve farmers who have been doing the right thing, who have been been on the leading edge uh, of conservation um, when everything that we've been hearing about in carbon sequestration has been adding carbon sequestration, not getting credit for what's already been done. And, and, and uh, Tom, I know that's something you hear from your constituency as well about as we look at these, these carbon sequestration or carbon credit programs, how do we make sure that those who have been doing the work aren't left out in the cold? And that was one overriding message that you got yeah. out of that hearing. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, Mr. Chairman, do, do you think that's almost a must-have to get those some type of payment to the pioneers who did no-till before it was popular and other you know best practices? Well, that would certainly be my view. Uh, whether you can convince the uh, Congress of that uh, remains to be seen. But uh, you know, you back up a little bit. One of the problems is nobody can tell you with any certainty, what is the right price of carbon? Yeah. You know? Or even how you measure it. Yeah, how do you measure it and what is the price and, you know, how does that all get established? You know, and then, um, you know, like you say, there's things that we know work. CRP, I think, is probably, uh, that acreage is probably the, the best sequestration of carbon of anything that we do you know, taking carbon out and putting it in the ground and storing it for a while. Uh, but some of these other programs work as well. Cover crops work. Uh, I'm a believer in cover crops, but they are totally different up here in the north than they are in the middle of the country or in the south. You know, when we get done harvesting sugar beets or potatoes, there is no time left to plant a cover crop. You just can't grow anything. It's too late in the year. You know, and we're interceding in corn and soybeans, and that's working to some extent up here. But, you know, I talked to this fellow in Arkansas. He's using these cover crops, and he's putting them on, you know, in July and August after he gets done harvesting his wheat crop. And he's eliminating a lot of chemicals and so forth. So there's a lot of things that have been working, but they don't necessarily work all over the country in the same way. So we got to be sensitive to that. And then, you know, for example, the other day I asked uh, one of my sugar beet buddies how much carbon is uh, sequestered in a sugar beet. You know, because those sugar beets are taking carbon out of the air and they're putting them in the, the beet, you know, and then they're turning it into sugar. You know, so then how do you measure that? When, the, when somebody eats the sugar, does that then release carbon back into the air? You know, those are the kind of things we have not we don't, you know, nobody has measured any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm not sure if we can. And you see, you've got to get scientific information. It's got to be peer-reviewed so that everybody agrees with, with the science of it and is willing to uh, you know, live by it. You know, and we just haven't done a lot of that work, you know. So to some extent, all this talk, I think, is getting a little bit ahead of yes. where we are. And that's what I've been trying to reach out to Bill Gates and to others that are working on this and get them to slow down a little bit and, and think about, first of all, how to price this stuff, uh, try to figure out what is what we're doing now as a benchmark and then decide what we do going ahead. Well, you, you know, know as well as anybody that, that a four-year term goes by very quickly, I mean, is there enough time to get this done in a Biden administration? Well... I think they're going to move uh, extremely rapidly from what I hear. And uh, I just think that we need to get on the ball here. Uh, this is not something I think that makes any sense to just play defense. 
I think we've got to get on offense here to make sure we've got our oar in the water and that, that we're being listened to. And, you know, and if they do this wrong, and that's what I've told the Gates people and others, if you do this wrong and you try to force the farmers to do something that's not doable or they don't agree with, you're going to set this back 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to go back to a cap and trade situation. What happened with that? Yep. Yeah, yep. a political football, you know, so. Uh, well, I think that's even hampering some of the current efforts. It's just there's some lingering distrust because of cap and yeah, trade. Absolutely. absolutely. It's almost like the early days of gasohol, isn't it? Remember, we had to go through a good decade <laughs> of learning to get to ethanol you know, done right. I, I, I would say it that way. I, I agree with the timeline. It seems to me that the White House people, they keep mentioning farm, the ag sector as the initial big winner in this. They want to announce something related to agriculture on April 22nd, Earth Day. That's a pretty fast time frame this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what they're going to come out with. I've, t- I've been talking to Robert Bonney, and Robert, you know, has been around, and he's in the secretary's office now and is kind of leading this up for the ag department. Um, you know, and, I, and he's, you know, I don't think he knows exactly what it is they're going to do at this point. Um, but he's what he says to me when I talk to him is that he agrees that it has to be practical. It's got to be something that uh, is going to be profitable for the farmers. So they're going to be able to get something out of this. Uh, and we have to be able to measure it. Yeah. Also, yeah. I'm guessing if they come out with anything on Earth Day, it's going to be pretty general. Yeah. You know, and I, I would be surprised if it had anything very specific in the whatever they come out with. Kind of like the principle, the principles, if you would, kind of generalities. Yeah. yeah. And maybe even some kind of pilot ideas. One thing about it, Bonnie is super smart and and very credible uh, on these issues. He, he knows as much as as anyone, and and they're they're trying to go about it the right way. But it is on a it's on a fast fast track, and and um, there are ways though that you can ease in through pilots and 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 even building in the alpha research component uh, to, to get more information as you go. Um, so it's a, it's a good crew there to work with. I'll say that. All right. Well, let's uh, change gears a little bit. Go back to the uh, the coronavirus aid package that just passed because we've got a couple of questions coming in. Uh, one from Carl first, uh, going back to some of those concerns expressed by Senator Bozeman earlier. Uh, will the ag provisions in the uh, $1.9 trillion COVID aid package really trigger PAYGO reductions to ag programs in the coming years? Uh, Chairman Peterson, uh, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously, the, the dollar amounts are enough to trigger pay-go, but isn't it likely that the that the Democrats will uh, pass legislation to forego the pay-go hits that would, uh, that would go into place normally? That would be my expectation. I mean, <laughs> you know, how can you talk about pay-go with a straight face after what we've done the last two or three years? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could not have said it better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're absolutely correct. Yeah. It's a, it's an easy prediction to say they're going to do a waiver. Yeah, it, it gets in your Medicare too. This would get into Medicare and say no more. Yeah, well, I think uh, at this point nobody seems to care about um, spending, you know, uh, other than a, making a political issue out of it, but. But at the end of the day, um, you know, both parties have been on a spending binge, and um, it worries me. I mean, we got to pay this stuff back, yeah. and, I, and I can't figure out what the heck is going on with this economy, with the stock market. Uh, what's going on with the stock market? And we got price-earning ratio of thirty-one, thirty-two, uh, and the market keeps going up. And you know, this market is way overpriced compared to what it normally is and it keeps going up you know i don't know i don't get it it's all this free money i guess going out there all this no interest it's the federal reserve hedge they're backing it the federal reserve they're giving the signal to go long stocks you know nobody's paying hardly any interest and i guess that's what it is but it 
it, it's got to come to a halt at some point. And um, if we ever end up having to pay four or five percent on this debt that we've accumulated, we're going to have big problems. Yeah, hard to ride a farm bill with the baseline with that scenario, isn't it? Yes. Not going to be good. No. Yeah, it is scary. Well, we don't I even know, know what the baseline is at this point after the last three years, do we? Say that again. Yeah. I said we don't, after the last three years, we don't even really know what the ag baseline is at this point, do we? Uh, oh, yeah. We have a pretty, you know, we, we know what it is. Uh, we've had to, we'd have to live by it, you know, as we did uh, our parts of these bills. You know, uh, the, the stuff that I put in uh, for dairy and some of these other things I had to pay for. You know, we had to, um, you know, it did um, come up with the money. So we've still been trying to do that. You know, and they suspended on some of these other bills. But uh, I think the committee still is going to operate under, under um, you know, with our uh, baseline, whatever it is, we're going to have to live with that. And we'll see if the leadership, if they give us extra money, which they could, I think it will be in the climate change area. That, mm, yeah. I think will happen. You know, and, uh, I have one of the, to jump in here uh, yeah, on ahead, an energy-related topic, since you know ethanol so well, uh, Chairman. What is your what is your viewpoint on the rise, eventual rise of electric electric vehicles, and the impact on the utilization of gasoline tied into the renewable fuel standard? I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, I think that's the least of our worries at this point. Hmm. We got a lot bigger fish to fry than electric vehicles, uh, you know. Uh, and I can tell you out here in the seventh district of Minnesota, they're they're not going to be driving very many electric tractors or electric trucks or even electric cars, for that matter, whether they manufacture them or not. Uh, so I, I just think, you know, it may be a concern long term, but I just don't see it uh, being the biggest threat that we have in ethanol. Uh, the bigger threat is, you know, are these waivers. And hopefully they're, you know, we're, they're done with these waivers and are back to what they were supposed to be in the first place. You know, and if we would have just, you know, had the 15 billion gallon uh, RFS that we were promised, you know, during this period of time, we wouldn't have had any problems. You know, the problems were caused by these waivers and got us down below 13 billion gallons when we have been geared up for 15 billion and uh, that's that's been the problem you know and now they're trying to figure out how to get back to it and you know uh, e15 which is a good thing but it's not going to get us you know this stuff back anytime soon because of all the infrastructure problems you know in a lot of parts of the country you can't get uh, you can't get ethanol you know other than your blend yeah you know so it's um it's you know it's it's a problem and the ethanol has been struggling but um you know it's it's i think this administration is going to they're not going to do the waivers that they've been doing in the past but i would just say that this is instructive when we're looking at this carbon situation we don't want to create a situation like we did in the epa where we're dependent on what they come up with in terms of pricing these RINs and all this other stuff, yeah. you know, hugely complicated thing that, that you can't work through. Uh, so that's what you get when you get the government trying to set the price and set the markets. You don't get a very good situation. Yeah. Do you well, see the administration what? given the ethanol sector aid out of this, uh, you know, $1.9 trillion package? Well, I don't know if they will or not. Uh, you know, there's an open question about whether whether they have the authority to do that. Uh, ethanol isn't mentioned in there, uh, but there is latitude, I think, and so we'll just have to see what what uh, you know what the, how the rules are written and what the secretary decides what to do. But um, there's there's probably not enough money to go around for everything that's uh, out there, you know, and there are. Uh, parts of agriculture that are mentioned, uh, for example, dairy is mentioned in there, and uh, that's was my intention, you know, uh, when I put it in there. And, and so, uh, whether 
you know, how they're going to sort all that out, I'm not sure. That's why I said earlier, it's going to be important how these rules are written. And the secretary, the way this was done, has a lot of latitude in determining how that money goes out. Well, then, Jim, we got some signs from the Secretary Vilsack in a couple interviews with Farm Journal this week, one on AgriTalk, one on Ag Day. Um, and he he hinted that, uh, well, one, CFAP 3 is still a few weeks away. He said it's going to be at least a couple weeks before they talk about their general idea of what CFAP, uh, both the residual money out of one and two, that $2.3 billion that was announced in the waning days of the Trump administration, and then the full $15 billion in CFAP 3. It's going to be at least a couple weeks before they announce their intentions of where they're headed and then a little more time for rulemaking. But he also said he... he pointed out biofuels particularly, and he said the priority is going to be first to those areas that did not receive funding previously under CFAP, which would also include biofuels and some specialty growers. Um, so, Jim, some strong signals there from the secretary. Yeah, he basically said the language was almost like a challenge to USDA to announce, you know, something for the biofuel industry. And he also said, John, that that 2.3, up to $2.3 billion in what we call CFAP AA, additional assistance, could well be th- around three billion dollars. Right. So, th- so they 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 have found more money, and you know, in this town, that can be spread around pretty quickly. Now, there's there's money that's not been spent. Yes, you know, yeah. but as I understand it, if you put the uh, requests that are in there from dairy and and from uh, ethanol and the other people that that uh, didn't really get helped as much in these other programs is more than what the money they have, I think. Really? Okay. Yeah. What What's in there for dairy? You know, what does dairy want in addition? Well, uh, they, they, um, they got hammered last year, big time. They probably got hurt more than any other industry. Yeah. And uh, one of the issues that we have with them is this payment limitation thing. Uh, so they had limited them uh, in the past under these payment limitations and I think it was 250 on each one of them, CFAP 1, CFAP 2, uh, $250,000 limit. So in this last iteration, what I did is I took the payment limits off, and I changed the uh, adjusted gross income limitation so you could, um, if you had 75% farm income and, and including uh, income from equipment dealerships and that kind of things would be considered uh, farm income, then you can avoid those payment limitations. And one of the concerns that the dairy industry has, um, you know, the uh, within the larger producers, with these payment limitations, have skewed the the way the money went out. And so, somebody that has a thousand cows is going to get substantially more help than somebody that has five thousand cows. Uh, you know, and so there's an equity issue there that I think is going to be argued uh, with the secretary and with the administration that, uh, you know, they all got hurt, you know, just the same, you know, the same amount. Yeah. So why should one group of people get substantially more money out of this than another? And that's, you know, is what I was trying to do when I put that language together. So, And this was what we would call CFAP 3, the yeah. one in December. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And thanks, Christina, for your question about that, and hopefully we answered it for you. Yeah, and dairy, the the issue in dairy is always overproduction. If you've got a situation where you're you're, uh, not meeting your cost of production, what generally happens is they start increasing production to cover their cost, you know? And then, you know, it's a a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that's cowboy math. <laughs> we call it cowboy math, yeah. arithmetic. Yeah. So I mean, so so it is a problem between these different producers. If you've got if you got one group of producers that's having to overproduce, uh, you know, to keep their doors open, and another one's getting help from the government, it's just not fair, you know. So uh, that was what I was trying to do. Uh, I'm not a big believer in payment limitations. I think it's picking winners and losers that that doesn't make any sense just because of a certain size or a certain threshold or whatever. I've never been a big believer in that. And uh, what I was trying to do is to get the secretary, give him the ability to go in there and 
and craft this so that these dairy producers, as they were uh, CFAB 1, 2, and 3, at the end of the day, they're all kind of treated equally. That was the idea. Hey, Jim, we got a question coming in from Haley asking about uh, poultry farmers and CFAP 3. Actually, that the, the poultry farm, contract poultry farmers were to be covered in that additional aid, that $2.3 billion that was announced by the Trump administration on January 15th. That is what's under review right now by the administration. Um, Jim and, and Congressman Peterson, where do you read the tea leaves on that? I mean, I hear what Congress, what uh, uh, Secretary Vilsack said, and well, contract poultry producers haven't been covered so far, so I say that is likely to stay in, but what do you guys think? Well, maybe not up to the degree. Remember, John right. has always told us uh, right around 90% of the funding in that 2.3 was going to go for uh, contract uh, poultry and hog producers. Uh, so I think that's under review. Yeah, and that, and that was the other thing that I did in the, in the legislation. You know, the contract growers were left out. Hmm. Right. CFAB uh, 1 and 2, and so we also included them. So what we were trying to do is to get everybody kind of treated equally. That was what the purpose of that was. And give the secretary the authority to be able to do that. And take the time to figure out what what is treating equally. You know, that is, uh, that's not an easy question. So no. he's got a big job, and I think that people are going to have to pay attention and weigh in to make, make their point of view known so that at the end of the day we get the best outcome we can. Congressman, we know dairy is near and dear to you. Um, dairy got uh, some some progress this week, and the Farm Worker Modernization Act was reintroduced uh, in the House. Um, I know the dairy industry has been pushing for that. W- what do you think uh, of um, taking that up as a single bill rather than wrapping it in with the larger immigration plan that the Biden administration is trying to move forward? Well, I, we do. We did it. We took it up as an individual bill in the House. You know, we got 20-some Republicans to support us, you know, and uh, I think that was a pretty good effort. Uh, problem is, you know, it didn't go any place in the Senate. <laughs> so the issue is, how do you do this so you can get the Senate to move it? Uh, you know, if, if you can get them to move it on a individual, you know, as a standalone bill, that'd be great. But it might be hard, you know, yeah. so... This needs to get done. Tom, where do you see this bill going? Pardon? Uh, Tom, where do you see uh, this issue going? I'd say kind of the same. I, you know, I'm, I think the House is going to take it up next week and uh, they'll pass it again. And I hope they get a good Republican showing again because the issues are so great. You know, the need for, for an adequate labor supply is so, so real in agriculture, particularly including groups like dairy and allowing them to participate in, in H2A is a really important matter. In the Senate, uh, it does get more complicated. There have been you know so many attempts over the last 20 years, all failed to either try and bundle things up or take it uh, individually. Uh, I, I'd say in the ag sector, you have Tom Tillis on the Republican side, who's really, he's a senator from North Carolina, just got reelected and really a very thoughtful uh, senator. Uh, he and Diane Feinstein have been working on kind of a bipartisan package over there. But I do think I, I just in the context of the current politics, I don't see how they move it freestanding. I think it's going to have to be lumped in with some of the bigger uh, immigration issues. And that's where it really gets complicated. Lots of pitfalls on that front, Jim. So, yeah. um, you know me, I'm always a sunny optimist. I want to be a Pollyanna. I want to think there's a way. Let's go. Let's go charge. Um, uh, but it's a it's a tough one. Uh, again Espe- this year yeah especially comprehensive immigration reform it, yeah. the odds are long yeah but but kudos to dan newhouse on the republican side standing with um uh the the the, the democrat uh, movement zolofgren and and the shop and putting together this this uh ag workforce modernization act it's a it's a good bill and it 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 deserves movement 
Well, John, since we're on dairy, I do want to look back just a little bit and compliment the chairman again of what he did in the last farm bill on dairy. Because the prior farm bill, I know, chairman, you've talked about this. You heard from your district dairy people that they wanted a better program. I think you gave it to them. What What do you see for dairy? Is, aren't they in a much better position from a farm program perspective now that you did what you did? I think that dairy has the best safety net of any sector of agriculture. Uh, you know, the small guys are basically uh, protected, you know, up to 5 million pounds, 250 cows. And the, the big guys have got the tools now with the dairy revenue coverage, uh, dairy revenue insurance, you know, and, and the uh, ability to use the um, futures market and so forth. So. Yeah. I think uh, dairy is, you know, pretty well uh, satisfied with the tools that they have and the safety net that they have. Uh, if we'd have had this in place 10 years ago, we'd have a lot better situation. And I tried to move us in that direction, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, but I could not get the Senate to go where I wanted them to go. Mm. You know, and that was part, partly because you've got Senator Leahy and uh, Senator Stabenow coming from different points of view and some some of the regional stuff still going on but uh, we've made significant progress having california come into the federal order was a big deal i remember um, when i went out there as first time chairman in, in 2007 and i sat down with all the dairy guys in california and i said i want you guys to come into the federal order i thought they were going to string me up <laughs> but you know it was that was causing a lot of problems. Yes, it was. And they stole a lot of our uh, milk production from the Midwest to California because of that California order. Mm -hmm. And they were taking the uh, the uh, class one and subsidizing class three. And they could buy milk for uh, the cheese plants to get milk a buck cheaper in California than they could in Wisconsin. And uh, that was a problem. So that's now been corrected. And so we've made a lot of progress. Um, there's still work to be done, but I think they, dairy has a really good safety net, especially if you're a small producer. Yeah. And, um, you know, that took that politics out of the situation, which is what I'm trying to do. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned equity, and I know this is a sensitive air, a topic, but with the uh, selected farmers of color is how I like to say it, that they get this, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, around $4 billion estimated in the $1.9 trillion package. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, Secretary Vilsack mentioned this equity commission that he has, they're going to review everything in agriculture, not just farm programs. I mentioned this relative to your and Tom's experience with crop insurance. So Will, are you concerned that they'll try to see something in the crop insurance program that may want them to say, hey, wait a minute, uh, these big boys get a lot of subsidies. Is that a concern of you or not? I'd, I'd jump in on that one and just, you know, the really unique thing about crop insurance is it's it's universally available at the same price for everyone. Now, individuals, you're rated based on your history, your individual history on the farm. But it's it's one of the, the beauties of crop insurance is it's rated um, by the federal government and it's rated by county. And everyone in that county has the same opportunity. And the agents that are out there, they they um, you know they have a they have a policy of of, of you know treating all customers big, small, any other kind of uh, uh, diversity, the same. And really, I think it's been an exceptional uh, program in, in that way. But I think, you know, this, this, this uh, policy conversation is going to bleed into everything we do, like yeah. you say, Jim. And so we're going to have to be ready for, uh, to, to stand up and to, and to just tell the story of each, each program uh, the way it's, it's come about. Some are not so uh, good as don't have as good of history as as maybe crop insurance does, but um, I think we're all going to be wading through that, that that issue here in the next year or two. I'll just say we have an ace in the hole there uh, because the law says that the the crop insurance system has to be actuarially sound, yeah. and if you take and start screwing around 
with putting payment limits on the situation, uh, you know, and somehow or another force the big guys out of the system, it'll collapse the whole system. So there is no way that they can do this, I don't believe. Because if you don't, without the big guys, you know, it's not going to work. That's that's a good point. So we also point. require these companies to be do, do business and, you know, all over the country. Uh, so those are some unique things that are in that law that I think keep people from going in and doing too much damage. Yeah. At least that's what I hope. That's a good point. Very good, good point indeed. Well, uh, we got just a little bit of time left, and I, I do want to get into uh, where we sit now with the House Agriculture Committee. Uh, you know, you've talked about it already in the show about the history of the House Agriculture Committee and the Senate Agriculture Committee uh, being some of the strongest bipartisan discussion uh, and involvement. Um, but we've seen that erode, uh, probably even starting with the 2018 Farm Bill discussion. But certainly uh, here in the 117th Congress, the House Ag Committee started off with a very partisan uh, uh, initial hearing. Um, Tom, we'll start with you and then go to the congressman. Do you see uh, how significantly do you see the partisanship or the bipartisanship eroding in the House Agriculture Committee? Can this be repaired? Um, what is going to be the sense moving forward here? Well, I've already confessed I'm, I'm a bit of a rose-colored glasses Pollyannish type of guy. So I always tend to think, yes, it can it, it can be repaired. We can get to a better place. We're, we're well on the road to a better place. I, I will say this, you know, G.T. Thompson, the new Republican leader on the Ag Committee, is just one of the most likable people you'll ever meet no matter you know where you're from he, he's just an affable you know congenial character he's he's kind of a builder now some of his early press releases were a little hotter than I, than even i expected in terms of partnership but, but but he really is i think he and david scott have a good relationship i know he and, and chairman peterson had a very good relationship and i think i think chairman peterson would agree so personalities play a big impact on or have a big impact on just how the committee forms and functions. And and I, I like to think that that, that Scott and, and GT will will have a good rapport and that'll bleed through to the membership. And particularly uh, one of the other fun things, once you start talking about actual policy and maybe having uh, the committee meetings where you're actually going back and forth. Uh, that's where you really cultivate and, and develop the relationships that allow for bipartisanship. I remember, you know, Combest, um, you know, it was funny. We would have kind of the, the parson issues, like famously he and uh, the senator from North Dakota at the time, Kent Conrad, uh, Mr. Peterson will remember this. I mean, they were just, it was like slugfest in the press. Jim, you know, we would, you know, uh, Hagstrom would, would love to report something on behalf of St. Conrad, and we would try and get an answer back somewhere else in the press. But even through that process of the O2 Farm Bill, those guys became the closest of friends and and really respected one another. So sometimes even in the conflict, you develop uh, with good personalities, people who are of goodwill, you really develop um, some relationships that will benefit agriculture going forward. That certainly was the case uh, between Conrad and Combest later, even in the 08 Farm Bills, we were trying to support uh, Chairman Peterson at the time with, with a good budget allocation, and Conrad was chair. And, of course, Combest, we were intervening, trying to intervene with the, with the Bush administration at the time. So um, I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think there's a good future ahead, uh, as long as we keep our eye on the ball and, and keep trying to work toward, toward good, good solutions, just doing the problem solving uh, that we in ag uh, tend to be good at. You know, Chairman, didn't I think the House Ag Committee added members now, haven't they? They did. Is that is could that be an issue? Because of the, <laughs> well, the number. You know, the whole problem here is not. I don't believe is is within the committee. I don't think that's where the problem. Is. Hmm. The problem is you got people at the leadership level pushing stuff down on the committee that causes this partisanship. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, you know, and that's what happened with this with this COVID bill, you know, and that that was not written by the committee. You know, I'm not sure who wrote it. I think some of it come out of the Biden administration. But, you know, the, um, I think if they'd have been left to their own devices to split up 16 billion dollars, it would have probably been done differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure it would have been that partisan. 
But we've had this uh, trend where we've got the leadership getting more and more involved in ag policy. Uh, you know, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that didn't happen. And, uh, I think, by and large, I was successful. I had a good relationship with Pelosi, and she respected me and listened to me. And so, uh, but it's still a lot of pressure, you know, and we had it in the last farm bill with food stamps. Right. Republicans, uh, that was their political issue, uh, you know, to push work requirements on everybody, even though we had work requirements and they'd been there since 96. And the problem was 80% of them were waived by both Republican and Democrat administrations. It wasn't that we didn't have requirements. It was that people weren't enforcing them which goes back to 96 when we had to put that provision in there to allow the thing to pass. So it, it, I think the most the partisanship is going to come from outside the committee, in my opinion. And, you know, the problem we had, and I got in trouble for saying this, but uh, I was not a fan of them increasing the size of the committee. And the reason is we had trouble back in, in – uh, in, in 19, getting enough members to serve on the committee. And now this time, they had even more problems getting enough. They had to go out and recruit members to get enough members on the Democratic side. And that points out a problem that we have in agriculture, and that is we don't have hardly any Democrats representing farm districts. You know, and that's not a good situation. So you got... So the reason there was pressure to increase the committee is you had more Republicans from farm districts and they want to be on the committee. And that caused us to have more vacancies on the Democratic side. Uh, but it's an underlying problem that we have. And I don't know how we're ever going to get back to the point where you can elect Democrats in farm districts. Uh, but that needs to happen. You know, or the partisanship is going to get worse. Because it'll get the urbanization of the ag panel. Is well, what you right. just yeah. And yeah. gerrymandering. Yes. You know. Yeah. That, uh, but you know, given where the Democratic Party is today, it is very hard to get elected in a farm district, as you can see with what happened to me. Yes. You know, uh, the farmers supported me, but not a big big enough block of votes to to swing the thing one way or the other. I think if it had been anybody other than Trump, you would have won re-election. Oh, yeah. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. This was not about me. No. This is about no. me. Agree. And, you know, also some of the newer members uh, in our party that are on social media all the time and you know, getting people stirred up. And, you know, that's that's what hurt me. And then and then they spent $20 million. Uh, <laughs> so I the last conversation I had with, uh, with the speaker... She called me at a 6.30 on a Saturday morning after the election and said, I knew you'd be up. She said, you're a farmer and a hunter. So, she, and so we had a good visit. But during that discussion, uh, I was talking to her about something, uh, trying to get something one of my friends. And I said, you know, he wants you to do this for him. And I said, he's been very supportive. He's one of my best, you know, he is my best friend. And there was a silence on the other end of the line. And she says, I thought I was your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, Nancy, I said, that's what the Republicans spent $20 million trying to get. <laughs> but, um, she's the speaker, and uh, she's actually been very good, you know, to me, to listening uh, and being uh, understanding of what we need in agriculture. And uh, she's not been the worst speaker by any stretch of the imagination. So, anyway. It is what it is, and I'm. I think I'm better off uh, where I'm at. Uh, I'm uh, very happy to be partnering up with uh, Tom Sell and his people. And I think, you know, to some extent, I might be able to do more good on the outside than I was doing on the inside. You know, and I think you're going to see that, and you yeah, can just okay. hear the audience from uh, the uh, how articulate both of these people. Uh, are and have been i think you're going to be very happy the next few years you know, well, we'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it interesting uh, mr chairman contrasting what you just said about democratic interest in the in the ag committee with when gt thompson was on here just a couple of weeks ago telling us that uh the ag committee was the top pick 
for Republican members yeah. of the House. And, and uh, that does not, no matter which side of the political aisle you're on, that does not serve agriculture well if there is an imbalance in the interest in agriculture. That's exactly my point. You know, and so one of the, so Angie Craig, who is a wonderful member, uh, you know, now she was on the committee and she went over to Energy and Commerce, uh, you know, because she only has like four ag uh, counties in her district, you know, and uh, she does a great job and she's back on the committee as a temporary, you know, but, you know, we need people that are going to be on the committee for the long haul. And that be their primary committee, and that's what they're most interested in. Uh, we need more of that on the Democratic side, and it just—it's hard to do when you don't when your district doesn't have a whole lot of farmers or a whole lot of agriculture. I mean, the chairman David Scott, you know, is his district is mostly suburban, right? You know, so it's a problem. It, it's, and I don't know what you do about it. You know, maybe this reapportionment will change it. You know, maybe it'll uh, even some of this out. I hope it does. All right. Well, looking forward, Mr. Chairman, what, uh, as you uh, go into this partnership with, with Tom Sell and Combest Sell, what are the top things that you want to accomplish in this? Well, my idea, is, I think, is the same as Tom's, and that is to be an advocate for rural America, to be an advocate for farmers and producers, and do everything we can to support them and, and uh, make them successful. Uh, and, uh, you know, initially I'm not going to be lobbying. I want to, I want to get in any trouble. I, I tell people, I, I served in Congress 30 years. I didn't get in too much trouble and, uh, and I survived, you know, and so I don't want to get in trouble now. So I want to follow the rules. So at this point, you know, what I'm mostly doing is supporting what Tom and them had been doing and supporting their clients and being as helpful as I can in terms of giving them advice and, uh, you know, my counsel on how to approach things, especially on the Democratic side, uh, you know, and we'll go, we'll see uh, as we go along what we end up uh, running up against. But um, that's one of the reasons I came back to the table. I like being involved in the process. I like solving problems. I like sitting down and figuring out uh, how to come up with a solution that everybody can win, everybody can live with, you know, so you bring Republicans and Democrats to the table and they're not either side totally happy, but you get to a point where they can live with it and uh, they support it. That's that's what I hope the role that we could play, Tom and I, can bring some bipartisanship uh, into the process and help uh, be some of the grease to make the committee work. Yeah. Tom? Yeah. Uh, I was going to throw in here real quick a uh, comment from John that I think we need to share with the, the chairman as we wrap up. Uh, chairman Peterson, couldn't agree more with your comments. We need more moderate Democrats. He did an excellent job representing agriculture, but also at the same time actually being bipartisan. Uh, you knew to work both sides of the aisle as a farmer. Always appreciated your work. So kind words there from uh, John checking in on Facebook. That way, John, I, I, I would just add, you know, we all get pulled in, in kind of partisan directions these days, particularly just watching the, the normal news it's 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 you, you become cynical but i hope those who've watched today or will watch it on a, on a recording will just see the the real sincerity uh that's there in in chairman peterson and look it's not unique there there are a lot of good people serving in congress on both sides of the aisle they're typically not the ones you see on the news at night being angry uh but they're actually up there doing good work and, and there's no better example of that than, than Chairman Peterson. He should be honored for his, his incredible, not just not getting in trouble, but he did many incredible and good things in his time in Washington, D.C. Combest was the same way uh, before with our, our firm. These, these, these gentlemen and ladies who give of themselves, who truly serve and put themselves out there in this way, deserve a lot of honor and respect. And I can just say, uh, John, Jim, I hope y'all know this. Us. We, we love our work. We couldn't be more honored uh, to get to join with, with Chairman Peterson here in, in representing and fighting for agriculture going forward. So really appreciate the opportunity to be on today. It shows your passion shows both of you. As, as I said before, my conversations with the chairman when he was chairman were always some of the highlights of, of the year for me because he did what he did today. He conversed with you. He didn't preach, 
to you. Uh, you know, Mr. Chairman, I think your hardest job is is going to work with a individual, one of my best friends at Combestcell, Jeff Harrison. <laughs> be be ready. You know, Jeff. <laughs> we get together, Jim. He talks about how when he first started out, he spent the first 10, 15 years trying to figure out how to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> I wore him down, and he became a fan of mine. And so now I think yes. he's, uh, one of my best cheerleaders because yes, uh, he is. We figured out how to get along, and he he uh, he grew up in Bluffton, which is a little tiny town, about forty miles down Highway Ten from where I live. So he's from my part of the world, and uh, uh, I forgot to ask him. You know, the other famous person from Bluffton is the bass player for. Uh, the, um, that Seattle uh, band, what the heck were they called? Uh, Pearl Jam? Uh, Pearl Jam, yeah. So they're big. Bluffton. Mm. Oh, huh. Yeah. Would, Jeff, would Jeff know that? Because well, he's not big on music. He should. You know, we had a... But, uh, uh, Larry, uh, Gary Con Condit had a hearing uh, in the Government Reform Committee where he brought Pearl Jam in, and uh, the guy that came that wasn't the lead singer was the bass player. And he was from Bluffton, so we had a good time talking about Bluffton. I bet. <laughs> That's a great name. Yeah, I hear incredible assets, as you know, Jim. He, he, there's, yeah, in terms of, uh, he's been a lawyer for the committee. He's 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 had a big, uh, a lot of finger fingerprints on yeah. all of the, the ag statues out there. Hey, Jim. I also, can you just give me a segment? Indulge me to apologize to all my Texas Tech Red Raider fans. Sure, absolutely. And do a little bragging too while you're at it, I'm, Papa. Yeah, I'm doing this from an office of a good friend who's one of the finest crop insurance agents in the land, Rayford Hardgrove, Hardgrove Insurance in Rotan, Texas. The Rotan Yellowhammers. You know what a Yellowhammer is, Jim? But I know him. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, oh, Hargrove, yes. he's a legend. Um, yes. But he's a big Aggie, and and uh, so I, I'm not. But my, I do have a son who's gone there. And actually, we're traveling down state this week because my younger son is in the state finals basketball tournament. So I had to do this from the road today. So thanks to Rayford for letting me use, use his office on the way. That's fantastic. Well, I, I hope that you'll we can maybe do this on a quarterly basis or at least a regular basis where we can cuss and discuss the issues. And as the, the moniker of the program is signal to noise, all what you heard today was signal. And I rarely say that on this program. It's just been fun. I'm gonna get that's because it's usually all coming from you, Jim. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of noise there. <laughs> well, Tom Sell, Congressman Peterson, thanks so much for the being so generous with your time. And yes, uh, we definitely want to talk to you on a regular basis uh, because um, uh, because of your involvement, because you are uh, on top of the issues that are affecting so many of your ag clients and. Um, Congressman Peterson, uh, you know, as we've learned over the years with working with you on AgriTalk, uh, you're going to give us this great straight skinny. You're going to be bluntly honest every time, and we greatly appreciate that um, every time you've been on with us, and hopefully we can continue that conversation. One of my best compliments was from Larry Combest, where we were sitting in my office in the 08 Farm Bill and uh, talking about something I was trying to get some help on and whatever. At the end of the conversation, he says, Peterson, he says, you're too honest to do this job. He said, <laughs> that was that's, abs that's why reporters love you. You think yeah. out loud, <laughs> as we say. Uh, but you're, you're the better person for it. You just, you don't, you don't, I uh, would lie would be too much, but you don't skew an issue like too many people do in this town. So I know I'm talking for a lot of reporters. Thank you for all those years and the years to come, Chairman. Indeed, indeed. So that's uh, former Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson from Minnesota, also Tom Sell of Combest Sell and Associates. Oh, Tom, before we go, um, I know most everybody in Ag is, is pretty familiar with Combest Sell, but if uh, hearing now that uh, Congressman Peterson is part of the team there, they want to find out more, where can they find out more about Combest Sell? Yeah, uh, we have a website, Combest uh uh, dash cell.com and and there's good information there with all the contact information and and obviously we we do a lot we we cover a lot of ground uh but 
but we love to work hard and we can always do more. So if, if folks are interested and, and, and have needs, um, reach out to us and, and let us know. And, and we're going to continue to try and stand, stand firm, stand strong. And so right, excited about this edition. Yeah. And, and all, Excellent. Uh, we have our own organization, uh, the Peterson group, uh, Inc. that has, um, partnered with Tom and, um, and our website is petersongrp.com. And oh, excellent. People can go on there. People have been trying to figure out how to get a hold of me ever since yeah. I left Congress because yes. uh, they took away my phone number. So <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know how to track you down. We just, so just have to bug Trev Harrison. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, real quick, where are you watching for Signal this coming week? Well, I'm going out to Tucson, Arizona to on-site presentation uh, Tuesday morning to an oil seed group. So I can't wait. I've had both of my vaccine shots, did not have uh, any reaction to the second one. So I'm ready to go. All right, and I'm getting mine next week, the first round. So hopefully I had the same luck. Again, thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it all. And thanks for joining us this week here on DC Signal to Noise. <laughs>